Hey guys, before we start the episode, I wanted to bring your attention to the very first Take Flight event taking place on Saturday, February the 2nd next year at Leeds Beckett University. The event is titled Peak Performance Practices and you can expect to learn new habits and routines to apply to your own lives to drive your individual performance forward. You can also expect to hear from some incredible motivational speakers to get you ready for your next challenge. I've been thinking of ways to expand the message beyond just providing an hour of audio every two weeks and I think this is a great way for those wanting a little bit more to spend a concentrated day on improving your own performance. I'm really pleased that the first event will take place at Leeds Beckett at Headingley Campus which is where I studied at university but more importantly I'm absolutely delighted to be collaborating on this event with the great Luke Ambler. Luke launched arguably the world's most successful mental health campaign It's Okay to Talk which went viral and helped millions globally. He also has an incredible message with his What's Next talk, and you can hear a lot more from Luke on episode 14 of this podcast to get a taste of what's to come. I'm also looking at getting one, possibly two special guests to speak on the day too, and more details will be announced soon. If you think this is for you, tickets are available now. Go to my Instagram page at whittletakeflight, and flight is spelled F-L-1-G-H-T. Click on the Eventbrite link in my bio, and I'll really look forward to seeing you and meeting you there on the day. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, and welcome to the Take Flight podcast with me, Mark Whittle, where we talk to top performing athletes, entrepreneurs, including business owners, founders and CEOs of startups and more mature businesses, as well as lifestyle specialists, where we unpack the secrets to their success so we can apply these lessons to our own lives. This week, we have a fantastic guest and someone I'm really pleased I got a chance to sit down with. The guest for episode 22 of the Take Flight podcast is David Abramovich. David is the founder and CEO of Grind, and if you're from or live in London, you will know all about Grind. With 11 sites across the capital, Grind is one of the most successful independent coffee companies, which continues to grow and expand and not only offer amazing flat whites and other coffees, but also turns into a cocktail bar at night. David is such a nice guy and such an inspiring guy with an incredible story of success. He shares so much amazing advice throughout this episode and I'm so appreciative of his time as David really is someone who has taken an idea, ran with it and is seeing incredible results and I really feel that they're on the crest of even bigger things and I'm looking forward to seeing where they go. When me and David sat down for the episode you're about to listen to, we talked all about building an amazing brand and if you just go on their Instagram page you'll see the grind brand, it's unreal. We talked about leveraging social platforms and trending topics to raise awareness for your business building great teams and other helpful tips with recruiting, as well as the benefit of suffering and the mindset you can adopt to achieve continued success in whatever it is that you want to achieve. As a quick side note, two weeks ago I was lucky enough to be asked to go on BBC Leeds with Stephanie Hurst and be interviewed about the podcast itself and speak a little bit about the upcoming event I'm hosting at my old university at Leeds Beckett. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to the interview on the day on the radio, stay tuned to the end of this episode as I put the clip at the end for you to tune in. That's enough from me. Without further ado, please enjoy episode 22 of the Take Flight podcast with the brilliant David Abramovich. Enjoy. David, welcome to the Take Flight podcast. Thank you for having me. Mate, thanks so much for doing it. Appreciate your time. Pleasure. And as we were just saying, there's a a congratulations in order. You got married, was it last month? Uh, September, so two and a half months. Two and a half months ago. Two and a half months of bliss. Yeah. 
Each day better than the last. <laughs> it was a good day in Ibiza. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. Yeah, um, in Ibiza for about a hundred people for a week. So yeah, yeah it was amazing. And uh, nice. yeah, looking forward to honeymoon at Christmas. Mm. So you didn't go on the honeymoon yet? No, we stayed in Ibiza for uh, for a week after just to chill. But no, proper honeymoon uh, in at Christmas. Nice. Where again? Uh, Maldives. Maldives for how long? Uh, I think we left two weeks in total, so nice. just just after Christmas until early Jan. Yeah, so cannot wait. Amazing, nice end to a big year. Yeah, mate, enjoy it. So, as we were just talking about before, this is a podcast about high performance. A podcast about doing what you're passionate about and taking action on those things, those goals, and achieving those things. So, as co-founder and CEO of Grind, could you give us a little bit of a background about what the business is? what it is doing, where you're based, and then a little bit about your role within the business and, and what you do day to day. Sure, cool. that, that could be an hour's answer in <laughs> itself. Um, so, so yes, yeah, interesting you talk about um, your passion and taking action. Because I, um, I think taking action is definitely something I've done a lot of, but actually, interestingly, yeah, it, it wasn't, this business was not necessarily my passion when I when I began, although it obviously has become that. So I actually, um, you know, to start the story at the beginning, I uh, I was at UCL studying economics, um, and a friend of mine gave me a call and he said he'd just got involved in this, this startup with a couple of older guys. Uh, did I want to come and have a look? And that conversation turned into coming back the next day, coming back the next day turned into the four of us becoming kind of a founding team of, of a tech business designed to go into the insurance and, and legal market. So something I knew nothing about, but it was exciting because it was a startup and because it was new and because it was different. So this was, this is while I was still at uni during my third year, actually. And we ended up going to Balderton Capital, who's one of the leading tech VC firms in the UK. And, and in total, we raised around 10 million quid from them and, and grew the business substantially moved office three times, ended up being nearly 100 people or something. Uh, you know, the crazy kind of tech go for, you know, go for 100 or bust mm. kind of route. Um, what was it called? Uh, it's called Interresolve. Um, and it's still going now, but it's in a very small and different form uh, than back then. Um, so that was that was all happening. And then, you know, this, this went on for kind of four or five years. And it was very much a roller coaster of a ride. Um, and... In parallel with this, my father had uh, mobile phone retail stores uh, and he unfortunately got, got prostate cancer and became quite ill. And he, uh, he eventually passed away from that. And as a result, I inherited his mobile phone retail business that by that point wasn't doing uh, fantastically well, it's fair to say. You know, clearly, it was low down his priority list mm-hmm. for for his last few years, you know, that was all about trying to get better and also trying to have lots of fun, which we did. So, yeah, that, that the the business by that point had consolidated down to just a single location. And I'd worked in that shop when I was 13, 14, you know, selling mobile phone covers and selling, you know, other mobile phone stuff as a summer job. And so I was very attached to this building and, and it happened to be a, a perfectly round, standalone building right on the edge of Old Street Roundabout which is an area that I uh, lived in at the time or lived very nearby and could see was really starting to change. So I had this thing of, I had this tech business. It By that point, wasn't quite where, it, where any of us had wanted it to be, but I still felt like I had to 
keep going with that. But at the same time, this building that I wanted to hang on to for sentimental reasons and because I thought it was a good opportunity. So it was really kind of the necessity of that and the necessity of having to pay the next rent quarter over and over again that, that drove that drove the, the beginnings of, of Grind. And for some reason, kind of just, I decided to turn it into a coffee shop. And I started talking to my friends about it. And one of my friends, a guy called Kaz, uh, he is from Melbourne, Kaz James. Um, he signed with Universal Records and moved over to London. And uh, my best friends growing up, my best mates, well, and today my best mate's dad, uh, owned The Cross, a nightclub in King's Cross that has obviously now just been converted into Cold Drops Yard and uh, restaurants and shops. But back then it was a wasteland. But obviously, because because my best mate's dad owned this amazing club, he used to go there loads. So uh, some a friend of, you know, a mutual friend between Kaz and us said, oh, you should go and see, you know, David and Luke and his friends at The Cross because you can be friends with them kind of thing. Because back then there was no Facebook, I don't think, or it was, it was too early anyway. And there was... Yeah, it was almost like it, it just wasn't the same level as connectivity. So, so Kaz came down and, and we all became friends from then. And then he, you know, years later, he went on to have a huge number one global smash hit record with um, with his group, the Body Rockers, and I like the way you move. And off the back of that, we went travelling a lot and we went touring a lot. And you know, I kind of picked up on Kaz always doing this thing about complaining about the coffee and complaining about the the Melbourne coffee scene, which is so ingrained in Melbourne culture. And, and you know, they don't understand uh, our, our take or, or the American slash British take on coffee. They never really understood that. And he would just complain about the coffee constantly. So I started talking. So once I decided to turn this place into a coffee shop, he was a natural person to talk to. And he, you know, I didn't necessarily expect it, but he was super up for getting involved. Really wanted to put some money in, really wanted to be kind of part of, part of the team and to do it with me so um so we agreed to do it together and yeah we we just set about converting this mobile phone store uh into a coffee shop and you know I knew absolutely nothing about coffee then really but I think you know what what we knew what we had a clear view on was the kind of thing we wanted to create um you know and basically that being the best coffee we could possibly make really cool space highly designed and uh, with music as a big part of it as well. So that's why we put a recording studio upstairs and we, uh, you know, made some cool playlists and had them up really loud because we wanted to create something that was really energetic, not, not kind of, you know, a bit of an antidote to the science lab style independent coffee places that were, that were around at yeah. the time. You know, kind of at the time, the independent coffee thing was tucked down a back street, quite hard to find, maybe just a bit overly complicated, maybe maybe a bit alienating to the average consumer with too many questions and it all just being a bit too complicated. Yeah. And no one was just like in a really prime location doing amazing flat whites um, in a fun way. And so that was that was kind of the basic idea that we started with really. So... Uh, it was definitely born out of necessity, yeah. uh, as opposed to that I had a burning desire to open a coffee shop. Yeah. But I think, I think that actually gave us an advantage with hindsight because I'm not a hospitality. Well, I certainly wasn't a hospitality person. I'd never even had. A, I'd literally never even worked in a bar or, or in a restaurant ever. So I think that that made me kind of look at it like a 
like a startup business, not like a hospitality operation. Uh, and we built in lots of tech quite quickly because that was obviously my background, you know, using iPads as tills and, you know, building our own app later and uh, really focusing on how we could integrate all of the systems together to make the whole thing more efficient. And, and yeah, I just think it gave us a different angle on it. Like, we weren't good at the stuff that hospitality people would have been good at, like how you lay out kitchens and how you lay out bars and what health and safety is and what food hygiene is. And But you can learn all of that stuff, right? And we have obviously learned all of that stuff. Um, so I think that gave us a, a really interesting starting point. Um, and so, and yeah, it's, it's been built, it's, we've built it pretty organically since then. So a year later, we kind of realised that well, less than a year later, but you know, within the first few months, we realised that, you know, this was this was a bit special. This thing, um, and people really liked being there. People were taking photos of each other there, and it kind of became a cool spot to hang out. And this is just as the Silicon Roundabout thing is starting, mm-hmm. and you know, legend has it that Transferwise was started on laptops in there, and you got a couple of other really? big tech success stories. So it became a bit of that kind of became a bit of a hub of, of Silicon Roundabout and obviously we've been, you know, for everything we did that was good, we made loads of mistakes and we were very lucky to start off with a super prime location and we managed to catch the kind of centre of gravity of London shifting east wave really nicely, yeah. you know, Old Street Roundabout unrecognisable now compared to how it used to be. Um, so what year was it then? Did- so this is 2011. 2011. Um, right. Yes, yeah, so we we opened seventh June 2011. Okay. 2011. Um, after nine months of building, I mean, really? we now build a site in about six weeks. But obviously, <laughs> we had no money and no idea what we were doing. And it was the same site that your dad had the phone shop in. Yeah, yeah, same building. Yeah, same building. No yeah, so he took the lease on that building in '93. Wow. And I remember working in there at age 12 and 13, and getting the tube to Liverpool Street, and then going on my kickboard scooter thing from Liverpool Street to Old Street and yeah. then working in the shop and, and the, the the counter in the shop was basically in the same place that the bar is in the shop now so yeah I spent a lot of time in that building yeah. um, and obviously for a while that was our only site so for about two and a half years that was our only site as well so yeah, yeah spent a lot of time there yeah amazing now, I think I was saying to you just before we started as well one of my first jobs in London was just around the corner from Old Street Roundabout so it was probably my first go-to and first experience of that kind of like independent coffee shop and, and like you said the way it was done inside I think as well made a big difference like the neon lights and all that sort of stuff and just the vibe in there and the music and everything it's made it feel very different yeah it's mad to think like I remember being in there at the start and hearing hearing the flat white being explained <laughs> over and over and over again how was it explained oh, yeah it's kind of like a well I think McDonald's have done a good job in their adverts recently you know if you want to you want to measure how much it's changed you go from no one knew what it was to there's now a whole mcdonald's advert on primetime tv explaining what it is but you know i think they i think yeah they're they're probably right a slightly smaller slightly <laughs> stronger flat white is probably is probably as much of an explanation as anyone really yeah. needs but yeah that that's that's a real signal about how much it's changed that no one knew what a flat white was when we first started there and yeah. now it's completely a part of mainstream culture yeah i think it's probably the most popular coffee now is it yeah, certainly it's for us, yeah. yeah. So the first time you had that idea of starting the coffee shop, that was when you were abroad then touring with your business partner? Do you know what? Actually, actually no. I think like my dad and I discussed even turning it into a coffee shop and a wine bar because we nice. thought it was such a cool building. And 
I mean, I remember we were thinking about who could we team up with to do it. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you when the first moment was. It just, it was something, it was an idea that had just been lurking around for a long time. Yeah, and stuck with you. And it felt like, it felt like the time to just do it. Because, you know, I clearly, I quite, because of the tech business, I quite liked the idea of having something that was completely mine or I could make all the decisions um, and something really human as well fast moving like the tech thing I had was a very long term play of getting insurance companies and law firms to to sign up and getting them to sign up and use it was a, a thing that was measured in months and years whereas having a very you know high contact consumer business like that you know you can put something on the menu the next day you can change something you can you can just change and iterate so fast uh and i I really like that about it and i still like that about it that you can just you can keep it moving yeah um all right so what's your role day-to-day now as ceo of the business and how does that differ to the kind of things you're doing on day one um yeah, pretty substantially. Um, well, I guess you could argue pretty substantially and you could also argue it's exactly the same. You know, so today we are, we have 10 locations about to open our 11th. Where's the 11th? Uh, in Greenwich. So yeah, we've uh, we've acquired the former Jamie's Italian in Greenwich. Oh, so nice. it's about it's over 6,000 square feet. Uh, it's our biggest site today. It's an amazing space. You know, and, and yeah, it's a big project, um, a really big project. So we're all we're all super excited about it. But you know, we now employ um, just under two hundred and fifty people, and you know, obviously very high levels of turnover and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very it's a very different business today than it was back then. And obviously, the nice thing about today is that I'm able to employ a, an amazing central team who are experts at everything they do. So, you know, we have a people director who has a team of just recruiting people and looking after people. We have a finance director with a team of people in finance, you know, producing numbers and, and keeping the business moving. And we have a brand team headed up by um, an amazing guy who does all the creative and Instagram and all that stuff for us. Um, we have operations team, obviously, headed up by um, our exec chef, uh, Kyle, and, and his team. So... Yeah, and, and Sam, our head of coffee, who looks after our coffee and our cocktails, and we have a whole we have our own coffee roastery, so we have our whole roastery team. So, you know, you're able to surround yourself with all these amazing people who are much better than me at everything, yeah, you know, effectively, you know, and certainly in their expertise, they're all much better than me. Whereas, yeah. you know, V one and you kind of have to wear all of those hats. You're you're defining the products and you're doing the recruitment. And you're doing the finances, and I used to do the, you know, I used, I used to do the books. You, you have to just do everything at the start. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I'd probably describe myself. I would certainly describe myself as a jack of all trades, master of, master of none, for sure. And you know, the great thing is now that we've got masters of all trades, and I just get to kind of steer the ship a little bit. Um, how do you how do you find the masters of the trades? Where where did you go? I mean, I assume you're still doing a lot of the recruitment yourself today. How? Yeah, I mean, quite a few of the guys who are now, you know, running departments have been with us for a long time, so they've grown with the business. So, yeah. you know, Ted, our head of brand, started as a waiter in Shoreditch Grind, and Sam, our head of coffee and cocktail, started as a barista in Holborn Grind. But you know, when people have been through the journey with you like that. 
they're actually better placed than anyone else because they understand it intrinsically as I do. So, but then having said that, we've also added people from outside who are amazing. So, you know, Kyle, our exec chef, joined us from Soto House Group a couple of years ago. Um, and I've always been a huge fan of Soto House Group and continue to be. Um, Lucy, our people director, was previously looking after 3,000 people at Bills. Um, so, you know, these are real experts that you're, you know, and over time, we're lucky that the brand has a really great following and people really love and want to work for the brand so you're able to attract amazing talent but you know then once you've attracted them you have to you know retain them and make sure they're happy and make sure they're they're looked after which is you know which is a big part of my job now really it's a big part of my job is just you know trying to give everyone common goals trying to make sure we all work together as a team to achieve those and and keeping everyone happy and and motivated Mm. and as well as obviously you know Site selection is is largely down to me, so I spend a nice. I spend a lot of time finding the next sites, a lot of time with agents and with landlords looking yeah. at stuff, uh, and then obviously fundraising is is massively important part. Mm. Um, and so yeah, so you know I think my job is to be thinking about two years time as much as possible, and and not thinking about today yeah. so much. But at the same time, you do have to think about today, and you have to work at it really really hard. Yeah. Uh, to ensure the business is is working on a day-to-day basis yeah nice are you still doing or or are you doing a lot of the pitching and the presenting for when you get in different sites or for the funding is that all you do you own that yeah 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 Yeah, pretty much it'll be you know i'll go and see the landlords and convince them to give the site to us if if required and you know i I will be the one that talks at you know talks at workshops and sits on panels and, and does all that stuff at conferences to build the brand because that's where these people are um, yeah, and look, I think, yeah, I mean, our last couple of bits of fundraising have mainly been through CrowdCube, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, the video has basically been me trying to walk and talk at the same time, nice. uh, which is really <laughs> difficult. Um, so, yeah, look, I think definitely being being kind of the face of the business a little bit is, is an important part of it as well. You yeah. know, and, and just and spending time with the teams as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in at least one or two sites per day every really? day yeah you have to be you have to stay there you know every week we have an induction with all the new team members because you know we have people join the business every week just because in hospitality you know people people's average stay with you is measured in months as opposed to years yeah. um, so you we're always bringing in new people so you know i make sure that i i spend half an hour you know with every new member of the team nice. in, a, in a group every monday just because i think it's really i think people want to know who they're working for and why they're doing it and what the point of it all yeah, is. 100%. So I think that's important. Yeah, yeah, big time. I, I agree. What do you do to, to motivate everyone then and, and stay driving towards your vision of the business? I think, like, I think people are, I don't think you have to motivate people if they agree with where you're trying to take it in the first place. And I think luckily all of our team do. We have very few disagreements about if something is right or not, if we should be doing the location or not, if we should add this to the menu or not, you know, uh, if this is good for the brand or not. And I think, I think equally, you know, the, when you get, when you get these experts in the head office team, they recognize that on this certain issue, they should really be weighing in. uh, And this is really important for them to Mm -hmm. kind of make a stand and say, whereas on other issues, they don't. So, you know, on brand issues versus operational issues versus, product issues there's there's different groups of the central management team who will feel 
really strongly about things and people who are saying, do you know what, like, I recognise that the brand team is better placed to make that decision than we are. So like, I think I think to motivate people, they have to believe in the journey and believe where you're trying to take it. And I think luckily, luckily everyone does. And then I think it's just, I think it's just little things like looking after people and not micromanaging them. You, you know, I'm, I really don't micromanage in any way. Mm. Um, I think, um, I just I just don't think that works. I don't mm. think micromanaging people works at all. You've got to hire the right kind of people in the first place who don't require micromanaging and just go off and make the right decisions and do the right thing. Yeah. So you have to, sometimes you have to rein it in a little bit and you have to find a way to keep a bit of a check on it all. But yeah, as soon as, you, as, soon as you're into micromanaging, you just drive people insane yeah. and they leave. Yeah. Have you seen that then? Uh, no, or you've, exp- or you've I've, heard. I've people. just, I've, I've seen it not in this business, but I've yeah. certainly seen it in other businesses. Yeah, so, you know, if you talk, if you say to someone, you know, I mean, I try and interview. You know, I meet all GMs, general managers of size before they start. I'll meet all head office team uh, you know, at an interview before they start, and you know, so I interview a lot of people. And if you say to someone, "Why did you leave the last job?" If they left voluntarily and there wasn't a, I was moving country or, you know, that kind of answer, they'll always talk about the people they work with. They'll mm. say, just this guy or this girl was driving me insane and she wouldn't let me do this and I was promised this. And I think that's really important as well, actually. I think you have to deliver on your promises. So if you say to someone, if you achieve this, I'm going to give you this promotion or I'm going to give you this bonus or, look, we just, yeah, I know you want this, but we just need to do X and Y and then you can have that. Like, I think... You have to deliver on those promises. No, not, um, yeah, I really agree as well, mate. I think otherwise there's no trust there, there's is there? There's no trust, yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing I think I've never, I've never offered something and not followed through mm. or to any of the, or to anyone, in fact. And I think that's super important. Yeah, mate, I think that's amazing. It's the credibility as well, isn't it? Because then if you say yeah. something a week later, I mean, no it's, a person, it's a personal relationship at the end of the day. Yeah. So in the same way that if you said to your girlfriend, I'm going to do something and you didn't, she'd be upset, or yeah. your mum or your sister or whoever. Yeah. You know, you've got to treat you've got to treat people who work for you in fact even better than that probably or you got to take it even more seriously because yeah. it's supposed to be a professional relationship so if some you know in the same way that you know I believe very much that it's a two-way relationship uh, employment you know uh, I think it has to be so you know for this for this for the team member you need to say to them look this is you know this is the deal this is the pay this is the holiday this is all this stuff um, and then in return they need to you know, work really hard for their contracted number of hours and yeah. they need to do what they say they were going to do. And I think in both directions, you need to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, mate, I love it. I think that's such good advice. Yeah, not again, not just in work, but in your all your relationships, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something I'm interested to know, mate, this, this podcast, as we were saying before, is generally listened to by people who are either wanting to act on their passion, be it a, a business, could be, uh, could be a sport, could be anything, but typically businesses um, and entrepreneurship is a good example. So... I'm interested to know from you, when you started the business, you started Grind and you were doing everything. You said you were doing the books, you were making coffees, you were doing everything, right? I wasn't making coffees. Oh, you weren't making coffees? No, that was the one thing. we were, The one thing that we said from the start, I was never going to work in the business. I was always going to work on the business. Okay, all right, nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, A, I'm not very good at it and B, I don't believe it's the way in which I create value is by, <laughs> yeah. is by working in the site. You know, I was always working on the business. Probably not a good use of your time, right? Well, no, just a good use of skill set. Like, mm. it's actually really hard. Like, I mean, I've done it a few times. It's really hard. Like, it's surprisingly difficult, much more difficult than you would think, to stand there at a till and serve and take payment 
from hundreds of people in an hour. Yeah. It's really hard. And you know, some people are naturally just great at it. So yeah. you need to find them. They can do it while smiling and laughing and flirting and having a good time. And you know, they're, the, they're the great people. So you, you know, I know that that's not where my strengths are. So. Yeah. Can you make a flat white though? Terribly, really, yeah, terribly. <laughs> I can hit where we've got all of our equipment laid yeah. out nicely and the instructions. You know, 25 grand worth of coffee equipment. <laughs> yeah, it comes out all right, but no, that's, um, I tend to stay away from that. All right, nice. So, okay, so you weren't making coffees, but you're doing everything else, yeah, outside of the physical labor, correct, on the business, yeah. I imagine there must have been times that you were massively overwhelmed with what you were having to do and, and juggling all these different tasks. Like, how did you deal with the overwhelm in those situations? Yeah, it was it was full on. You know, I was I was going there before work, then going to the, the start. You know, the tech thing, which was the day job. Sometimes running back during lunch. Certainly going after work. So so yeah, it was full on. I think I, I don't know. I, I had to do it. I don't, I don't know. We just. I mean, once you've invested every single penny you've got, that gives you a fairly good motivation to make it work. And I never had to. I've never, I've never in my life had to force myself to go to a grind. I think that's a really nice thing. It's like whenever I've got off a plane, I've always wanted to go to one as soon as possible, see the team, get a proper coffee because you could just never get, you could just normally not get one wherever you've been on holiday. Yeah. And I think like it's nice to it's nice to have that, and you know it doesn't it doesn't feel like work a lot. I've kind of meandered away from your question slightly, haven't I? Your question was, how did I motivate myself to carry on? Yeah, no, mate, that's, that's perfect. Um, I mean, if you enjoy it, that's great. Yeah, look, I think enjoying it's. I think enjoying it's really, really important. Um, and look, I think, you, you know, I think once you commit, I think I've always been fairly decisive. So once you commit and you put a lot of cash into something, yeah. you say you're going to do it. I mean, the fear of the fear of failure is a fairly good motivator, I think, because you know, failing happens, of course, and that's fine. But you want when you've committed as much energy. I mean, we were literally, you know, we were sanding chairs and you know, building tables and stuff the night before we first opened at five a.m. covered in dust. Like when you've when you've put that level of energy in to get something open, it's like it becomes your baby, and you want to see it succeed. Yeah. Yeah, so good, man. I guess that kind of links back to what you were saying before with um, the relationships and employment and stuff. Like, again, it was almost a commitment to yourself and having that promise and that trust and credibility with yourself, wasn't it? Definitely. And also, like, when you when you publicly associate yourself with something and you put your name on it and everyone knows it's yours, yeah. even more so that even yeah. more so you wanted to succeed. And I guess this industry is very visible as well. You know, if I started a management consultancy business, the truth is. No one would have any idea if it was succeeding or not. They would mm. only know based on what I told them. But when you open a hospitality business or a consumer-facing business of any kind, it's pretty easy to tell from the outside if it's working or not, yeah. regardless of if you know the person. You can just tell, right? You yeah. walk into yeah. any retailer, any restaurant or bar, you know this thing is working or it's not. Mm. So, you know, I guess that motivates you as well. That You just want everyone to perceive it as, as yeah. a success. Yeah, mate, and, you know, I've got to say congratulations to you because I think people do. In London, people love it. And when I've told people before this that I'm sat down with the founder of Grind, everyone knows Grind shops and everyone likes them. So, right. thank you. Nice. Yeah, I think it's amazing, mate. So when did you first realise then that Grind was something a bit unique, a bit special? I know you mentioned it earlier, but when was that first moment when you said, you know what, this could be something amazing? I think the first year was interesting because the coffee thing kind of went off straight away. And as I said before people were enjoying being there and people were saying really nice things and then we 
there was a there was a uh, there was there were some reasons, some legal reasons and stuff why we couldn't sell alcohol, and that was something we were keen to do, and we managed to get around those and get things changed and get the license and all that stuff, and then and then we launched as a bar, and you know we realised that the espresso martini was that we made was amazing because you know shock if you if you've got amazing coffee that you've had roasted especially for you and you know tens of thousands of pounds worth of stainless steel equipment designed just to make amazing coffee and a highly trained barista if you make a double espresso and then you turn it into an espresso martini it tastes a lot better than where someone's got crap coffee and a crap coffee machine and they've made all the coffee four hours ago and then it's sat in a bottle behind the bar until you've ordered your espresso martini yeah. five hours later which kind of was was the status quo at the time so that became that became the central the central point of the kind of the evening menu and the transition from day to night and i think you know we managed we, we managed we were amongst the first to make the like day to night thing truly work um and i think a lot of people tried and continue to try and it's really difficult and you know we had to really persevere at the start like for us it went well for the first few weeks while it was a bit of a novelty and then it really died off quite a lot and we kind of kept slogging and kept slogging and kept going to make the day by night thing work I think once we once we had that working and people were coming during the day then they were coming back for a cocktail and it was getting busier and busier the whole time and you know I was looking at the numbers and like thinking god this is turning into like a this is turning into a decent thing now this is no longer really a hobby this is a this is a properly good little mm. business. I think I think that was that was the moment when I realised it was quite good. And then, you know, I think I think we haven't used the word luck yet enough. And I think luck is a super important important part of anyone's story. And and look, we are far from you know it's going really well, but we're certainly not out the other end having you you know we're still along the journey. So I don't think we can say you know. How was you know, how have you achieved your success? Because I think in truth we're still very much in the middle of achieving our what hopefully will go on to be success. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've achieved it yet, but you know I think in terms of luck, it was fortunate that um, just around the time that I was thinking I might want to step out of the tech thing and do more of these, and I might want to roll it out, and I might want to raise some money. The guy who we had done our Borderton Capital deal with basically got in touch and told us that he'd left the corporate corporate finance house where he had been and was setting out on his own. And he got in touch with me and said, look, I've seen this thing, Shoreditch Grind, and I'll shoot round about. I think it's super cool that it's all day and all night. And then I started doing some digging and I found out you own it (laughs) and it's yours and I already know you really well. So, you know, it's a nice little little fortuitous thing. And then he just was at the right time and managed to introduced me to um, a guy called John Ayton who um, is well, who, who invested when we only had one site basically yeah. so after I got to know him he invested and you know he previously founded Links of London the jewellery brand with yeah. his wife Anushka who's also an investor and they have uh, all of our brown swimwear they were big investors in they just sold that to Chanel about a month ago nice. uh, Bremont watches he's been involved heavily from the really? start so lots of amazing brands and an, an amazing guy and you know, I managed to get intro to him at the right moment he came in and, you know, and then he brought in his, his cousin, Diamond, who's also been very important, and uh, his wife's cousin, rather. And, you know, so lucky to get the amazing location at the start, lucky to get the intros into them at the right moment when yeah. they needed it, and, you know, lucky with lots of other stuff as well. 
but yeah I, I think that's amazing man I do agree but you've got to go out there and you've got to do it and put yourself in the situation to even entertain those opportunities in the first place and you've credit to you because you've gone and done that and you've gone and started the coffee shop had great success and of course then people want to be around you and I think you attract that anyway right yeah look, of course you have to be you know I think people always say to me like oh what, what, what would your advice be or what should I do and my answer is always just get on with it yeah just get on with it yeah. like it's like you just talk about it forever like get on with it like most of the time it, it, there's never been a moment in the history of the world where it is easier or cheaper to start something. Like if you think about if you think about pre-digital, pre-internet, all of that stuff, like the barriers to entry, the kind of businesses that there were were a different kind of business, a manufacturing business stuff. They all, all require huge amounts of equipment and capital mm-hmm. expenditure and you require physical retail premises. And I mean you can now you can start a business with an Instagram account, which is free, or a website, which is virtually free. Uh, there's never been lower barriers to entry to just trying something, and it's never been more acceptable to fail, and it's never been more acceptable to have, you know, I think I read something earlier this morning about the average Australian is going to have 17 jobs in a lifetime or something. And I don't know what the stat for the UK is, but I'm sure it's exactly the same, if not higher. You know, it's never been more acceptable to do lots of things, to have things on the side, to, so just you know think about it a little bit before you start obviously run some numbers and try and work out if you think it's going to be successful or not but just get on with it yeah. because you just if you're going to do it and if you feel like you if you feel like you need to scratch that itch then you just want to do it and find out if it's going to work or not as quickly as possible for yeah. the least amount of money as possible yeah. so you can either have the success or have it fail and move on mm. and you know no, you don't just get to quit the second it doesn't work because obviously nothing ever just works and you have to work hard at it. But I think knowing when to start and getting on with it and then knowing when to cut if it wasn't working, you know, like ultimately I walked away from the tech thing that we'd invested five or six years in and I didn't really get anything out of it. But I mean, I got an incredible amount of experience out of it, you know, and raised money from one of the leading tech VCs in the world at 22. And, you know, it was amazing. It was like an MBA. So, you know, take stuff out of, the failures as well um, and yeah just crack on like yeah. it drives me mad when people just talk about their business for, for years on end just like get on with it yeah mate I think that's amazing advice for anyone who's looking to start business or take action on what they want to do it's that thing I, I, I don't know if you've read the uh, the lean startup and he talks about oh, indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he talks about that pivot or persist so you're either going to carry on with it you're going Absolutely. to persist and you're going to go after it or it's not working the way you want it to it's not how you thought it might turn out so you pivot the idea slightly and yeah. go from there yeah and look I think I believe that the right person with the right level of energy can make most things achieve, can make most things a success. Yeah. Like, you know, I know that I could take this whole team that is here now and apply it to a slightly different sector and we can make it we can make it a success yeah. as well. Just because you just gotta get the right people with the right attitude and, and the right take on things. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. So I love I like talking about goal setting as well. I'm a big believer in goal setting and and having that when you spoke about vision already, having that vision for yourself and what the steps are going to be that you're going to have to take in order to achieve those things. But what I'm interested to know from you is once you've got the first site, you've got Shoreditch grind, you made it a huge success. What is it within you that makes you want to go on and have another 10 sites and beyond afterwards? Like what what why weren't you just I suppose in in a weird kind of way satisfied with one amazing site? What was it that pushed you to go further? Good question. I don't know. I never even considered for a second only having one. Really? 
honestly. Like, I never, it would never have occurred to me to have one. Really? No, I mean, we never took any, we haven't, we still haven't taken any money out in terms of profit. I mean, obviously, obviously we paid ourselves or whatever, but we've never, yeah, for, from week one, it was like, oh, if we move the bar like this, or if we, you know, if we spend a couple of grand on this new till system, or if we buy this new grinder, or if we change this, or if we buy a new menu, then I think we can get more. I think we can get more. I think we can get more. Yeah, you know, and it very in my mind, the first one was just the blueprint for the rest of them. Right. From from, from straight away, it, it, it honestly never occurred to me to only have one. Yeah, that's interesting. It was just in you all, all the time. Yeah, I just think, I mean, how much of a success can one ever be? Yeah. Like, and particularly, do you know what? I think I think had the tech thing, had the tech thing carried on, it might have just been one as a little hobby. But the second, the second I was, I decided that I was going to work on grind full time. Yeah, it was never going to that was never going to be enough. I would have been bored. I think like if yeah. just having one. So yeah, I mean, we almost certainly within six months, in my mind, this was the blueprint for the rest of them, as opposed to this was it and yeah. let's relax. Was there anything specifically that you learned with Shoreditch Grinds that you've taken into every other site you opened? Oh my God, everything. Yeah, <laughs> everything. I mean, we described Shoreditch Grind as a trial by fire, as in like, it is super busy, Shoreditch Grind, and it continues to be yeah. super busy. And it's like 600 square feet downstairs, it's tiny. Uh, but the numbers that go through that place are insane. Yeah. So Always round, isn't it? Yeah, it's always round. And it's small and it's difficult to get in and out of and it's hard to walk through and it's a... You know, it's, it's become a crazy hype because obviously f- half of our sites are now restaurants as well and well, we have a full kitchen in Shoreditch Grind as well so it's, it's become a, a strange hybrid of everything we do it's coffee and cocktails and restaurant but in a more of a counter format with table service I mean I think often the first one ends up being a bit of a strange hybrid because you just bolt bits on basically but yeah no I mean that was that was where the brand was built people still you know, we have photos of Shoreditch grinding the toilets in every single site. The cinema nice. sign is, is. I'd like to say it's like I'd like to say that building is iconic. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I should be. At, well, other people do call it iconic, so I guess you can say that. Yeah, but I yeah. think there's something special about that building and the sign on the front and all that stuff. And certainly, that kicked the whole thing off. You know, I always say, for whatever clever stuff we did with hiring a good team and making the music great and designing it well and clever signage and whatever if we'd done all of those things exactly the same but in in a little flat fronted shop around the corner and up the road we wouldn't have the business we have yeah. today you know it was such a leg up um, you know back to the luck thing again just having having such a great prominent first location yeah. was a huge part of the success story and Shoreditch Grind continues to be the most recognisable mm. best known one as well yeah no I love it mate that's the one I go to the most as well it'll always be my favourite is it is that your favourite one absolutely it has to be that's where it all began I mean there's still there's still bits in there that I uh, there's just about some surviving bits in there that I physically helped to build with my own hands so yeah I think obviously my history with the building yeah that'll always be my favourite one I took a picture of the cinema sign today it says a day is just a nap waiting to happen (laughs) does it yeah I was there this morning. I didn't even notice. <laughs> I like to really put it at the World Cup as well. But it's coming home on. Yeah, there's been some. There's been some good ones. Obviously, it's a great place to just. It just. It's just basically our commentary on the world. You know, I think we had. It's not you, EU. It's May during the uh, 
during Brexit. Yeah, that yeah. was one. Of, that was one of the best ones. Um, what else have we had? Some stuff we've got a little bit of trouble for here and there. Really? Um, not not serious trouble, but you know, a little bit of controversy is yeah. good. Yeah, it's it's kind of amusing just to have your own little yeah. commentary board on the world, and <laughs> it's nice when it nice when it amuses other people yeah. as well. Uh, it's fun. It's been a, it's, it's been an important tool actually in, in marketing and. You know, if we talk about, you know, again, coming back to the luck thing, um, but, you know, I think we were lucky in terms of um, we managed to, we have managed to ride the Instagram wave really effectively as well. You know, I think quite early on, very early on, we recognised that we thought Instagram was going to be kind of the future. We leaned towards that heavily and uh, kind of invested everything investing everything into that and obviously you know tools like the cinema sign mm-hmm. and being able to put a photo up about the yeah. World Cup or about politics or about you know a celeb- you know something's happened with a celebrity or yeah. with music or whatever it might be that's been a great tool and yeah we, we've ridden that wave yeah. nicely and I mean I think there's a there's a quite widely shared BBC article now about how which is true actually about how we um at one point decided to rip out all of the wood and replace it all with white marble because we realised that everything photographed better on the white marble. And so, yeah, we literally did. We ripped it overnight. We, we spent a huge amount of money to rip out all of the wooden tables and replace them with marble. Right, right. We've, kind of never, we've never had any wooden surfaces since. So, yeah, th- mm-hmm. things like that have helped us. But again, we've been, we were really lucky to get on that early and ride the the wave of Instagram. Yeah. You know, And we now, we managed to get hold of that grind and, you know, we have over a hundred thousand on there so that's yeah. a really important part of our of our marketing and we just we just we've just launched a new website and some new retail products actually so obviously you know having that digital channel to start selling grind at home and retail products through yeah. is uh, is great mate that's amazing so you literally for the photos you ripped out the wood of the marble in well we just we just were looking at photos from one of the sites where we had some marble tables I think I think this was I think Holden Grind, we put our first, uh, which is the, which we don't have anymore. It's the only one we've ever closed. Um, or we sold it back to the landlord, brother. But we, the architect, um, is an architect from uh, Melbourne called Beersoul, who's a really good friend of ours as well. And he's designed every single one of our sites for, for us, JP. Uh, he specs some marble tables uh, to go in the back area. And we were looking at the photos, because obviously people taking photos all the time and you get tagged in and we look at them going, wow. And obviously, you know, now every blogger has got a sheet of marble in their house that they put the products on that brands send them. Yeah. But it kind of, this was before all of that. And we just realised, we were like, wow, the, it looks so much better. The food and drink looks so much better when you photograph them against marble than yeah. wood. So yeah, so we went and ripped all the marble out. Amazing. The um, Amazing. So yeah, it's, it's, a nice little, it's a nice little story. But I think, I think it speaks to a bigger story about using digital to build yeah to build the whole brand and that's something that we have definitely done effectively um, yeah Mate, it's interesting you're saying about putting stuff up, up like in line with what's trending or what's in the news yeah, at the minute because yeah. it just rides that wave like you said and then you get more exposure more attention we've had two great bloggers that are actually married to each other Ali Gordon and, and Lydia Millen I don't know okay. if you've heard of either of them but they're huge in like blogging and on yeah, yeah. Instagram YouTube all this thing and that's like what they said was one of the biggest tips or biggest takeaways is kind of latch on to stuff that's going on in the news, things that are being talked about, hot topics, trending subjects, all that sort of stuff, and yeah. link that into what your business is doing. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we've always encouraged that, you know, when we were... I remember the Brexit vote being on, and we put a TV up inside just and had the news on 24 hours a day for those three days because so did everyone, right? Yeah. 
like everyone was glued to the news for those couple of days. Yeah. So, you know, when the World Cup's on, we put a screen up somewhere just because, you know, we're obviously not a sports bar and mm-hmm. we're never going to be, but people want to watch the World Cup. Yeah. And then, you know, you have World Cup related social media and World Cup stuff on the cinema side and you've you got to react and flex. Otherwise, yeah. oh, it's boring. Isn't yeah, that's so good though. Not many, not everyone does it though. Okay, mate. So, talked about stuff you've learned from within businesses has there been any other big obstacles in business or personal life that you've faced that have had a big impact on you yeah i mean you know losing losing my dad was the worst thing that's ever happened to me by a factor of you know a thousand um you know i think i've been very lucky my whole life you know i couldn't have i couldn't have asked for more from from anyone really and it's just yeah this there's this one thing that happened that was unavoidable that was you know the worst of the worst so was it unexpected um i mean i mean he was sick for a few years before he got oh. ill but yeah i mean even after he was sick it was still unexpected but certainly the thought of him getting sick was completely unexpected um and yeah no look obviously it's nice to it's nice to have been able to build something great off the back of that mm. but yeah i mean it was yeah, that's that's the only thing in terms of, yeah. of an obstacle ever, really. And I think, I think actually, someone said to me the other day that that suffering is the best. Is the best. What did they say? It was, it was very eloquent. I'm not <laughs> going to be anywhere near as eloquent, but you know, suffering is the the greatest learning or something, something like that. Like, it's di- if you ha- if you if you've suffered in some way in any form, I think that's I think that can be a really good motivator, and also I, I think it gives you great perspective as well. Because, you know, after something like that, well, nothing's ever going to be as bad as that. Well, touch wood, you know. Losing someone close to you is pales into, you know, you know makes, makes business challenges or, you know, that stuff seem trivial in comparison. So I think that's painful but good. Yeah. But good learning sometimes. Yeah. Do you think you need to have those real lows if you're going to achieve real highs? I don't know. If, I don't know if you need. I don't know if you need to have them. You know, I would, say, I would hope no one ever has those kind of lows. But yeah. obviously, they do. But do you think you would have had the level of success you had now if you hadn't experienced that? <sighs> Who knows? It's so intertwined that it's it's. You know, obviously, the whole thing has been born out of uh, that happening, and and sometimes I almost feel guilt that this great success has come from that. It's quite a hard thing to reconcile in your mind that this thing that's so good would not have happened had this thing that was so bad not happened mm. because you know that was what forced me to close down the phone business and gave us the first location that was so important in the success mm. so it's, it's quite hard to reconcile those two things sometimes but yeah I try not to think about it too much to be yeah. honest but um, look everyone has obstacles the whole time right um, you know I, and I'm, I've generally been very very lucky and surrounded by supportive and mm. inspirational successful people who you know who drive you to do better yeah yeah amazing so what's been the number one highlight of the whole journey well good question I don't know we always say we're terrible at achieving success you know we've had at at celebrating success not achieving success Um, (laughs) at at celebrating (laughs) success Um, and yeah it's a funny one because you know last year we did a crowdfunding raise and we said we were going to cap it at two million, and we were going to raise seven fifty. And we hit our we hit our two million cap within five days of going live to the public. I mean, it was insane. It was so quick. It was one of the quickest ones ever. But yeah, it's weird. Like you'd imagine that 
when you do that in the end, you're popping bottles of champagne and you're celebrating your heart. And obviously, we were really pleased, but you got a seven or eight week lead into that of doing the video and pulling together the marketing material and meeting with everyone and lawyers drafting paperwork. And like, it's so stressful sometimes going into these things and it's such a lot of work that yeah. almost when it's over and you've achieved it, you just want to go to bed um, <laughs> as opposed to like, want to go and have a wild party. Yeah. Um, so it's a very strange one. And like, whenever you sign these big deals, I remember, remember when John when we signed with John for him to first invest, which was obviously was the creation of this as a proper grown-up business thing. Again, I've been to the lawyer so many times in the last two weeks and yeah. had so many phone calls that you're just like, oh, God, it's, it's more... Sometimes it feels more like relief than success. But, no, but look, I think, I think there's, been, there's been so many highlights. You know, it's great every time we open a site. Um, last year, we signed a franchise deal with um, a business called SSP who... Um, you know, two and a half billion pound a year revenue business that operate branded um, branded concepts in travel locations. So they operate every Starbucks in every pretty much every airport in the world, for example. And we're going to be rolling out some grinds with them. So you know, that's uh, that was a it was a great moment. So yeah. I deal with them. I think yeah, the crowd queue. We've done crowd queue twice. They've been great moments. Yeah. So then there's just you know what? There's loads of just little ones like. You meet people and they ask what you do and you say, oh, I've got this coffee and cocktail thing. And I say, oh, what's it called? Grind. They're like, oh my God, I love Grind. Brand is so cool. I go to this one all the time. Yeah. I love this one. And like when, and even little things, like I remember I went to the BBC head office to, to and gave a little talk to about 50 people and I can't remember why or who they were, but I remember distinctly saying, you know, I started chatting about the business. Said, has anyone ever heard of it? And like, like eighty percent of the room put their hand yeah. up. I was like, wow, this is like we've only got ten locations. This yeah. is mad that that nearly everyone in this room knows the business. So it's it's little things like that that kind of that give you a buzz. And like even yesterday, um, yes, we're about to open Greenwich, as I said. So we've taken on about forty people or something, and. You know, yesterday I went to the the club bar, which is our, our private hire space underneath Clerkenwell, where they're all doing training. You know, and walk in and gave them a little twenty minute chat about the history of the business and a bit of a condensed version of this, really. And you know, them asking questions at the end and being so engaged and yeah. knowing so much about the brand and asking about this thing that we posted on Instagram two months ago or asking <laughs> why did you do this? You know, that's, it's so great that. You know, a lot of a lot of young, highly engaged people who are really excited to be working in our new location in Greenwich. You know, that's that's really great to have have a lot of people who have who are all super excited to be working in your business is is a great feeling. So it's the little things to me like that are much more important than the than the big sign this deal, raise this yeah. money. They they feel better. Yeah, amazing. It's that connection again, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Nice. So we do the same three questions at the end of every episode. Okay. And the reason we do this is so everyone who's listening has got immediate stuff they can take away and incorporate. If they're still listening. If they're still listening. So the first one of these is, is there anything you've come across or experienced recently that you're particularly excited about? In terms of, or just... Could be anything. Literally anything. I say like, could be a TV program, music, could be a new exercise in the gym, could be a book you've read, could be anything. Wow. I'm really excited that Bird announced today that they're coming to London because I was in LA about six months. It's the electric scooter oh, things. Right. 
So, uh, yeah, they announced... In fact, I read it as I ate some food before I walked in here. So, yeah, that was the last no thing to excite me. Yeah, so when I was in LA earlier, they're, they're everywhere and you just jump on and there are these electric scooters. You pay as you go. You just whiz around. And I spend my whole life... like I live up the road, but I spend my whole life walking around. So lots of our sites are in East London. I like to walk as much as possible. But, yeah, yeah I'm excited. The Bird have announced today that they're coming to London. Mate, that's so good. I was in LA like three weeks ago and I saw all these people just flying past me and... Yeah. So it's, they're like Boris bikes, aren't they? But you just pick them up anywhere, drop yeah. them off anywhere. Yeah, but they're electric. They're electric scooters, electric so you scooters. don't have to get. It's somehow different to riding one of the Boris bikes, which you still is kind of you feel like you've ridden a bike and you're a bit sweaty. Yeah. You literally just stand on it and hold the button and <laughs> yeah. get kind of it's like a travelator. Yeah. So yeah, if they come everywhere in London, they will massively help me as I whiz around yeah. the different sites. Yeah, um, and so help other people right. get to their closest grind. Exactly. So there you go. <laughs> That's a random answer for you. Nah, I love it, mate. I'm and also, I'm really excited about Bruno, our new office Frenchie, who you may have met on the I way have, in, yeah. who is three months old and amazing, and we love him. Is he yours? No, no, no. He's uh, uh, Scott, one of our guys. Okay. Yeah, so he comes here every day. Nice, amazing. So the second one of these three is... If you had to give everyone who's listening one piece of advice of a habit or routine they should incorporate into their daily practice that's going to help them drive their performance forward, what would that one thing be? It might be something that you do yourself. It might be something you've heard people talk about that works for them. The answers to this is always get up early or exercise or read this. Or So I'm not going to give that kind of boring answer. Okay. I'm going to go back to the question earlier. Just get on with it. Yeah. Yeah, get on with it. It's like... Whatever it is, get on with it. Stop talking about it and get on with it. All right, I love it, man. The third one is, if you take yourself back to a couple of days before you've launched Shortage Grind, and there's two versions of yourself, so there's two Davids, what's the key differentiator between the one who goes off and has all the success, all the sites you've had, all the future success you're going to have, and the one who doesn't do those things and have all those achievements? Um, backing yourself. Yeah. Just back yourself, I think. I think there's this great thing about um, if you get a committee to design a race horse, you end up with a camel. Because, you know, someone says, yeah. make this a bit bigger. Someone says, make this a bit, change this a little bit. Someone says, let's put a hump in the middle. And all of a sudden, instead of a race horse, you've got a camel, right? So you've got to, you've got to just back yourself. You've got to have confidence in your own abilities. And you've got to believe your own bullshit a little bit as well. Because if you don't, no one will. Yeah. Um, so yeah back yourself get on with it and back yourself alright because if you don't back yourself you've got no chance of getting a third party to back you and whatever business at some point you're going to either need to get customers or investors or someone to back you so you have to start off uh, backing yourself okay mate amazing advice man thanks so much pleasure is there any way you want people to go and check out like website or the grind Instagram or yeah look go to a grind Try an espresso martini. If it's not the best one you've ever had, you can text me, <laughs> give you money back. Um, follow us on Instagram at Grind. Go one, of, go buy one of our new coffee tins. Go check out our new website. Um, we've just started shipping worldwide. Next day delivery on our retail stuff. So, um, so that's all good. So, yeah. But do you know what? Most important thing anyone can do: go to a Grind, have a coffee, and tell a friend that it was great. Amazing. All right, man. Thanks so much, mate. Pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it. So there it is, guys. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much again to David for his time. 
and sharing all the great advice he's learned building the amazing grind business over the years. You can follow David at David Abramovich on Instagram and follow the business account at Grind2. And if you're in London, try and get to a grind. In fact, when you go to a grind, take a picture of your coffee, tag me and David so we can see which one that you went to. Or as usual, if you've enjoyed the episode, please screenshot and add to your Instagram story as we love chatting with you on there and seeing which parts you're enjoying. As mentioned during the intro, here is the interview I did on BBC Radio Leeds. Thank you so much to Stephanie Hurst for having me on the show. It was my first radio interview and I loved it so much and looking forward to hopefully doing some more. Enjoy the chat and until next time, stay positive, stay motivated and take flight. Now, um, I'm always listening to podcasts. I love, you know what I'm like, I share, I overshare if I'm honest. I've got honesty Tourette's, just things just fall out of my mouth. And I'm always looking for like new music, new podcasts, all sorts of different stuff. And um, there's a particular blogger that I follow and she shared something on social media. I said she'd, she'd listen to this. So I clicked on it and then I found this world of amazing shows by a guy called Mark Whittle, who's in the studio now. Good morning. Good morning, Steph. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, so the Take Flight podcast, and flight is L uh, F L one G H T. So where did the idea for Take Flight? Because it's like you're taking flight in the next journey of your life, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the the idea came really from a lack of fulfilment in what I was doing at the time. So I was in a typical corporate job. You know, people follow these paths in their lives where they go from school university and then into corporate jobs the, you know the idea is the bigger the corporate job the better the benefits the more money you're going to earn and then you just live your life doing that and it kind of goes on cruise control and I, I just got to a position where I'd achieved all the things that I thought I wanted to achieve and uh, and I wasn't really fulfilled so I looked at my network I looked at the people around me and I thought you know what there's p- people doing amazing things here so why don't I sit down with them get some advice from them they seem pretty happy and um, and really from a selfish point of view like that'll help me get fulfillment and be happier and then it's taken me on this journey from there so and you were at Leeds Uni as well weren't you for two yeah, years yeah actually it was Leeds Met Leeds Metropolitan University yeah. <laughs> so um, and you lived in Headingley yep so Skyrack Original yeah. Oak we were like three streets behind the arc so yeah in fact I was at the I was in the university football team so year one we had to do our initiation and uh the whole squad was naked outside the arc, which... I've had some nights in those pubs, I'll tell you that. Yeah. And you got a scholarship to go to America to play football, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, so off the back of that, it was great, actually. We got some guys coming to uh, the university, say that there's opportunities to go to the US. So I went over to Manchester, to the Man City Academy, did a trial day. They videoed it all. They put up videos of us as individual players, like profiles, and coaches from the US could tune in, watch, and basically bid on you as a player. And then got a scholarship, moved over to Ohio for two years and had an incredible time over there um, playing uh, semi-pro a little bit as well. Did my MBA while I was over there as well. Wow. And then an injury, sadly, brought me back to London. But yeah. And then you end up in the corporate world in the city of London yeah. and you're not fulfilled. No, no and not And had you discovered podcasts yourself and this is where you, you thought to yourself, do you know what, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Because I listen to a lot of you know, there's people like Tony Robbins, of course, who's yeah. an incredible guy. People pay a lot of money to go to his seminars, don't they? Yeah. And you had a guy called Ed Milet as well, who yeah. I'm aware of. And that, I think, is that your latest one? Yeah, that's the latest one. Drop that one on Sunday. So, yeah. So to answer the first question, I, I listened to podcasts a lot. Like five years ago, it changed kind of the way that I viewed personal development and how I could get better at stuff. Like, there's just amazing, amazing stuff out there that's completely free. Mm. So I started listening to Tim Ferriss. That was the first one yeah, that Tim really, Ferriss. like, kind of, 
blew my mind. And he had people like Tony Robbins on there and stuff. And I was just like, this is crazy. And um, I just went from there. And, you know, I think from an egotistical point of view, I listened and I was like, I could do this. And then, uh, yeah, as I started to think, as I said before, about people that I knew, things they were doing, businesses they were building, uh, athletes that I knew who were professional and all this sort of stuff. I was like, do you know what? Why don't I have a little go and, and try it out? And each person you speak to on the podcast, um, it's the, the pilot who served in Afghanistan I was yeah. listening to a few weeks ago, yeah. and he ended up in a situation where someone had been taking pictures with their camera. He'd gone to speak to the... They were flying out to Afghanistan, yeah. weren't they? To yeah. Camp Bastion. Mm-hmm. And there's this incredible story that he shared in the fact that the plane goes into a nosedive because one of the controls got stuck and he gets pinned to the roof of the plane yeah. and then gets to the front and manages to take control. All these yeah. kind of, This guy's an incredible guy. An amazing guy, yeah. Shout out to Nathan Jones. He's an absolute hero. He, yeah, he had 200 soldiers on board. Uh, he was taking a break at the back of the plane. He, he's an incredibly inspiring person. He, he was sat there having a cup of tea on his break, chatting to a friend. And as you said, it, the plane all of a sudden went into a nosedive. He was pinned to the roof and had the now so the ability in that moment to climb down the roof. He got so many injuries now. He's had three spinal surgeries since this. So the amount of impact, the injuries and what happened to his body just by being smashed to the top of the plane. He had to crawl down the top, like the ceiling of the plane, into the cockpit, back into a seat and right the plane. Like, it's, it's insane. He saved 200 lives. He's, he's amazing, yeah. It's crazy. Uh, this is Mark Whittle, by the way. He's got a new podcast called uh, Take Flight. It's been out. How long has it been on? It's about yeah. a year or something yeah, like that. Yeah, almost in January last year. Uh, and year, I discovered this through a, a lady called uh, Lydia um, Elise Milan, who's, uh, who's she's an incredible blogger. She shares so much stuff on Instagram and stuff. And I discovered your podcast through that. And I started listening to it because you interviewed her. I found her really inspiring. And that's why I thought it'd be great to get you on. Because what have you learned yourself from this podcast, that you've, you've this journey you've been on? Yeah, so much. I mean, we spoke about coffee, the importance of coffees. Yeah, <laughs> that's, the, yeah, that's the coffee guy's on. In fact, you know what, Mark's going, because we're in a new canteen fitted here at BBC Radio Leeds. We are currently, we've got one kettle for the entire building of BBC Yorkshire. And this is a big building with a lot of people working in it. And he's brought us coffees in. So you're straight <laughs> to the top of the leaderboard on the, on the guest on the guest front. <laughs> but now, like Steph, so many things, I think, like, you know, you start to speak to these people and there's consistent messages that come up, like little things about having r- routines in the morning. How can that benefit? you how can you start to build these practices in that get habits that are positive so that you can start to win each day I guess and everybody seems to have these things but I I guess another one that's important is that we're all different and we all work in Mm. different ways so some people like myself I know I need a really regimented morning routine get up I have my hydration have a pint of water with like electrolytes in there all this sort of stuff yeah Uh, I do 20 minutes of meditation Um, I take my dog out so I get the exercise I get the try to get the sunlight when the weather's good so all these things I find really beneficial but then there's other people that I know that wake up and all they want to do is just get straight up get a coffee and sat down at their desk because I really struggle to get I I get up at half five quarter to six in the morning yeah. and I really struggle to get going and it's not that I need caffeine I just read I'm not a morning person I yeah. did breakfast shows for 15 years getting up at 4.30 how the hell I did that I have no idea so if anyone's listening to this today and they're feeling unfulfilled in life what advice can you pass on to them apart from listening to your podcast which is the the number one business podcast um, what advice can you give to them if they want to take those those steps just to kind of changing things making themselves feel more fulfilled yeah it's a really good question it's a difficult one it's the age old question it is isn't it it's the age old question yeah, yeah. but I think that if you're feeling unfulfilled if there are nagging thoughts in the back of your mind that you feel like you need to act on just literally just do it 
and it's, I know it's the classic Nike yes. slogan, but if you just do it, there's there's something called the the action loop. And if you act on something, if you just take that step forward, no matter how big or how small it is, that's going to get you inspired and motivated to a degree. And then when you feel that motivation and that inspiration, just mm-hmm. from the, the, the smallest little step, you feel that inspiration, then you're inspired to take more action. And then you're just building it from there. So all it is is taking that one little step. And that's why it's important in the morning, you're saying you struggle to get up, just literally the action of getting out of bed is inspiration for the next step that you've got to do in that morning. So if you've got an idea and it could be something as big and glamorous as a business that you want to start, just have a look at what it takes to start a business. Just that act of Googling how do you start a company mm. is going to give you the inspiration to then want to lead on to the next thing and the next thing. The next generation coming through um, are leading the way on this. You know, they're, they're CEOs of their own companies from a very, very, very young age. They're, they're taking control and they're, mm. they're not having to wait to climb that corporate ladder. They're creating it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what's important as well is like I like you know CEO of their own companies, but CEO of their own lives as well. Mm. So like not just in a business sense, like spiritually, what can you do? You know, we, we briefly mentioned mental health and that kind of stuff as well. How can you be comfortable uh, in situations of anxiety and all that kind of stuff? So not just CEO of the business that you want to run, but of, of your life and how you manage everything outside of business as well. There was a sports blogger I was listening to on your on your podcast as well, and she said something about a tribe, be the leader of your own tribe or something. There was a little quote that she said, and it. it kind of stuck in my head I wrote it down it's at home actually on a piece of paper and it's listening to things like that and picking up these little things yeah. on podcasts that really kind of get you inspired don't they yeah yeah I think they're amazing you know I, I one of the things that's part of my routine is listening to some sort of positive content in the morning I have mm. to um the Ed Milet one is probably been my one of my favorite episodes well he's like a big peak performance expert isn't yeah he? so I went over to LA three weeks ago and spent a bit of time over there did two amazing interviews with two really incredible guys both of them have got their own podcasts really inspiring they've got their own businesses Ed Milet is uh, or his mentor was Tony Robbins as well so that's the kind of level that he's on and just tell us about Ed Milet's house very quickly before we finish <laughs> yeah. because this house and when you listen to this podcast you can hear the waves crashing where yeah. you recorded it he had this five story mansion in Laguna Beach that I drove down to and we, we sat outside on his like big balcony area and just yeah the, the waves the California waves were crashing in it was an amazing scene to, to do an interview like that wow you can hear um, Mark Whittle's podcast it's called Take Flight when you search for it it's the word take and flight is spelt F-L-I-G-H-T F-L-1-G-H-T F-L-1 should I say one see I've not had my coffee I've only had one coffee <laughs> F-L-1-G-H-T and uh, you can hear it on iTunes or any podcast thing that you have and if even even if you've not I was just talking about downloads and people can be a little, be a little bit afraid of downloading stuff it's really quite simple just search your podcast on your phone mm-hmm. and it'll come up and then you just stick that in there take flight and you'll be able to find it and download it Mark thank you so much for coming up to Leeds okay. back in Leeds again yeah. and you've got an event actually in Headingley as well haven't you yeah 2nd of February we're launching our first event and one of the guys who I had as a guest is Luke Ambler who's an amazing guy done really inspiring things as well and he's done a lot for mental health as well he did a campaign called It's Okay to Talk that went global so yeah uh, 2nd of February in Headingley we're going to be doing our first single day event on peak performance practices Fantastic Mark Whittle it's been great to have you on and keep in touch and when you're back up in February please come back on as well Yeah I'd love to Thanks so much The brilliant Mark Whittle and his podcast Take Flight Right BBC Radio Leeds it's 10 to 11 with Sean Mendes I thought that I 